Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Derek Keither, my friend Derek Keither is back. Derek, thank you for taking time out of your day today. Thank you so much for having me. Derek and I used to work together, and I, I am still pissed that he left, but he's gone on to much greater things. He's working for Atlassian. What do you do at Atlassian? So I am a senior solutions engineer at Atlassian, specifically for ZeroLine or the Agile at Scale Guild. It's my responsibility to demonstrate, you know, our biggest, most complicated customers come to us. Okay. And I listen to them and understand what problems they're trying to solve. And I help explain uh, how our products and platforms can help help them solve their problems. Okay, cool. Um, and Derek has written a new book. I did. I'm going to hold up my copy of it because mine's all full of post-its, all the things I have to go back. These are the ones that I was saving for the interview right here. But Derek has a topic we're going to focus on with the new metrics cookbook. Um, so a couple things. Everybody wants to know how to do metrics. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really liked about your book was I always say that everything in Agile is most easily explained by connecting it to food. And there you go. There you go. Exactly the same kind of thinking, which is one of my favorite things about working with Derek is that our brains function in similar wavelengths. Um, so why did you first, why did you write the book? And then we'll go into the specific case study thing that we're going to talk about. Okay. So I wrote the book because many years ago, I wrote a book called zombie project management. And that was really my world at the time was around project management and then how things go off the rails there. But then since I, since my time with leading agile and then after leading agile, uh, every, every uh, transformation, digital transformation, business organizational transformation that uh, I've dealt with metrics measures, uh, key performance indicators, they're all, you know, business outcomes, they're always part of the equation. And so uh, my last employer prior to Atlassian was Capital One. And that's where I really, you know, leveraged that at scale is what I was thinking. And we implemented it through, throughout Capital One. And um, yeah, I think it was, uh, it, it's been at the top of mind for, for several, several years. And it's kind of cathartic to get it out. You know, if you have clarity of your thought and you can yeah. write it to paper, you know, you can share it with others. Cool. Okay. So I want to, I want to give one like highlight of this book. If you're somebody who's trying to figure out what metrics to look at, like that's a question in class all the time. Like, well, if it's not velocity, what is it? Right. This is a book that's going to give you a lot of ideas of different things you could track places where that information might be valuable. Uh, I knew a lot of this stuff. You know, there's some stuff that, that you explained in a way that helped me understand it better. Some stuff I wasn't familiar with. So I think that no matter where you're coming to it, there's something in here that's going to be valuable for you. Um, but we're going to talk about something I don't understand at all. So this is something I was like, Derek, what do you want to talk about when we do it? Do you want to focus on anything in particular? And he said, orphans. Orphans. And I don't understand what orphans and metrics have to do with each other. So maybe you can help help explain this one. Okay. So let's, let's define you know, what the problem we're trying to solve here. Okay. Capital One is an example, and, and it wasn't just, that was the one where I really was able to articulate the problem because I, we were in the middle of it, but I've seen it over and over again um, with other customers, the uh, Atlassian customers. And that was that at Capital One, we couldn't hire people fast enough. Okay. You know, times were good. That is, uh, you know, times were good. 
and uh, we were trying to deploy changes to satisfy our customers as fast as we could. But again, these are interconnected systems. You know, you have a system of delivery, but then we also had this whole, the process, the system of hiring people yeah. and maintaining people. And, and, and again, we couldn't hire people fast enough. And so they, you know, I was part of the continuous improvement leadership team there. And my proposal was, well, I actually think we have all the capacity we need. I think the problem is, is that we're doing the wrong things. And it's not that the teams weren't working super, super hard. Well, hold on a second. I want to, I want to take a second to just say that in my, how it's in my brain, what I heard. You're making the suggestion that there's enough people Uh with enough skills to do all the things that organization needs, but many large organizations try to do a whole lot of stuff at once. They budget them in the beginning of the year. They plan like a hundred things. By the end of the year, they've whittled it down to like five and like two of them get done. And all that, this is one of the things that a lot of people in in Agile talk about, like all those other projects, that's all wasted cycles, wasted money. If you would just make smarter choices or harder choices, you could use it for other stuff. Right. 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 And the challenge is, is we're trying to balance capacity with demand and the organizations believe we have this many people we recognize our demand unfortunately when you look at the roadmap you have years of demand and you also recognize that given our rate of delivery our time to market we can only get so many things out the door within a set period of time so we have to make a choice these are trade-off decisions either We tell our shareholders, our customers, it's going to take us longer to deliver these things, Mm -hmm. uh, or we hire more people in the hope that, you know, there's enough time to scale them up, to ramp them up in which we can deliver on commitments that we have on our roadmap. Right. And can I, can I ask a question about this? Because I've not, I don't think I've ever been staffed at a place that was the size of Capital One, but I'm assuming that the more of these things you have in play, the more bodies you need, the more bodies you need, the more people end up feeling like they're sort of like, you know, Milton left in the basement and they just quit and go off and want to do something else. And then you've got another spot you have to fill because there's a neglected person on a neglected project who feels like they weren't appreciated. So it just becomes a thing that creates more of its own problem. You're identifying a real problem. I mean, and it's true. The challenge is, is that, People don't know why they're working on what they're working on. And there are certain dynamics at play that those that are higher in the organization, they don't want to be, they want to feel safe in what they do. And they don't want to look foolish if they change their minds. And what part of it is re-educating those higher in the organization to say that really what you're doing is you're defining things you want to do, but these are options. And you have the right to exercise this option, but you don't have to. And given the capacity and given the current rate of delivery and time to market, you can you can exercise an option or not. Right. And but unfortunately, there's this disconnect, you know, between strategy and execution. Mm-hmm. And so teams are left only seeing what what's the next sprint or two worth of stuff that they need to do. And they don't have the context of why it's important to organizational strategy you know, and, or what, how it aligns to our mission or vision or values. Right. And so they, they did, they get disenfranchised, they get up and they will leave the organization. 
And most of the time it's because they don't know why they're working on it and what's, again, they want something to believe in. Mm-hmm. If we could just make sure that these things are aligned, you know, we could probably retain our workforce better. Yeah. We could, they, they would be happy. Smarter choices. And is it, do you, do you agree with the idea that, I mean, I think most managers and stakeholders would agree with everything you're saying. And yes, absolutely. We should cut down the amount of projects this company is doing. And, and as long as it's not mine, we should totally do that because nobody's going to be like, yep, eliminate my job. That's the smart thing for this company. If I really care enough about this company, you should get rid of me. No one's going to do that or get rid of my project. No one's going to do that. Right. But what we do need to do is have the hard conversations of as an organization in times of extreme volatility, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what are the hard choices? What do we need to deliver first? What do we need to start first? Not what do we need to finish first? What do we yeah. need to start first? And if we can agree on that, we start to have adult, grown-up, hard conversations about, well, what's next and what's next? And we'll go down that line as long as we have the capacity. Okay. You know, and that capacity is all dependent on how much do we have in the system right. and how fast can we get it out of the system so we can get a return on our investment. And that's a driver for um, a leaner, more decoupled organization where you have the ability to produce things faster. Like that would definitely be a focus because the faster we can go, the bigger greater our throughput, the more things we'll be able to do. Right. But in order to do that, we need to limit our working process. Yes. You know, and, and though you're, I mean, again, you're, li- you're limiting your working process, but the intention of that is getting shorter time to market so we yep. can get faster feedback from our customers to ensure that we're actually investing in the right things. Okay. So what are the metrics you're looking at for this stuff? So we're looking at a couple of different things. One, so think of, you know, we're thinking of leading indicators and lagging indicators, lagging okay. indicators being those things that are in our past. How much can we deliver? How fast can we deliver it? So think of it, you know, we like to use the terms of cycle time, lead time, and throughput. And velocity would be a lagging indicator as well. Velocity would be a lagging indicator as well. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, uh, velocity, um, we believe, you know, there's, there's not a standard of velocity. If I say throughput, it's just a unit. It's a thing. Yeah. So I can count how many things I get done. Now, certainly I don't know the size and complexity or uncertainty related to those things. Right. But that's what happens is, is when we start using velocity as that unit of measure, where we need to be a little bit more transparent about, well, what does a point mean? Yeah. You know, when it contributes to our velocity. And the other thing it doesn't talk about is we don't talk about again, the uncertainty, the complexity associated with this being, you know, a one point story yeah. can take as long as a 13 point story. Be- yeah. If there are, if there's complexity, uncertainty and dependencies associated with it. Right. So, so, but to your answer your question, yes, velocity is a lagging indicator. Okay. And, and we, and we're using, if we're using scrum, we're thinking the velocity within a time box. And so right. we know that our lead time or in this case, our cycle time would be two weeks or however long our sprint is. Mm-hmm. And then that full lead time would be from the idea until we can ship it to our customer and get a return on our investment. But okay. we're, we're trying to shorten that time frame as much as possible. Yep. And so in order to get it out of the system as fast as possible, we limit what we're going to focus on Okay. and, and get that out the door. And, and again, we're using these measurements to help us understand what is our capacity is how much can we get through the system and in, in at what 
Okay, so that's what we're tracking. How? What's our throughput? Cycle time from the idea to the delivery. Um, where does the orphan part come in? So the orphan part is, the question is, is how much can we get out the system? And so we're, we're going to assume that our full capacity is looking at our, so we're going to look at not just throughput okay. and cycle time or lead time, but we're also then looking at the queue. That is, what are the commitments on our roadmap that we want to commit to? Mm -hmm. And the reason why we're doing this is we're going to say customer or, you know, yeah, customer shareholders, we can deliver this much stuff within this period of time. And your thing is at this stage in the queue. So that means it's going to take us this much time until we even get to your work, your priority. And so now are you, are you making any kind of value judgment on the things in the queue? Like, like your thing is the thing we really want to do. And there's right. like 16 things that we just like, meh, but we have to do those first because they're in the queue first. Well, and we're hoping that the queue or the backlog or the roadmap that we're prioritizing right. is economically prioritized. There so has, you so. are prioritizing within the queue. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Because we don't want to, we, we should from an enterprise level, just be, look at what's the next thing on the list. Right. You know, once we get the, enough capacity that we can consume that next priority, that's what we're going to do. So, I mean, given that we should be reviewing that roadmap periodically to make right. sure that it's still, that thing is still the highest priority. So I can see where that would totally piss me off. If I'm the guy that has the thing that you're like, yeah, we'll do that. It's like fourth. And then you're like, oh my gosh, look at this new thing. We're going to put that fourth. And I, I'm the guy that never is quite allowed to come up and get his piece of cake because you're always like, oh, that person's more important than you. Right. Um, then, then your whole thing about like, I'm this point in the queue, I know when I'm going to be done because of where I am in the queue kind of falls apart there. Well, so this kind of leads us down a whole nother path. And that okay. is if we want to talk about like lean portfolio management, where what we're doing is if the batch or the commitment is too big, what we can do is to create more options for us, is to break things down to smaller units, fund mm -hmm. smaller units of work, and then have a hypothesis that this thing that we're going to do right. is going to give us some value and then validate that hypothesis. And if it doesn't, you know, we'll invest some money in it. We'll test the hypothesis. And if it doesn't if we don't see a trend, see the response, that, yeah, right. Then we can cut it, and we don't. We then don't have to commit a one to three year commitment mm -hmm. on something if we're seeing early on that it's not going to give us a return on that investment. So okay. that could free up some capacity. So, well, in case this wasn't clear, he's doing crazy talk now and suggesting that people actually figure out if, if, if the customer wants the thing that we're building, or if we should just build it. Right. Crazy I mean, talk. Again, <laughs> we, we are, our organizations are, we're delivering value, you know, yeah. because we believe we're going to get a return on that investment. And that investment is our people, our co the cost of delivering that. So, yeah. but again, where we run into a problem is, is we know we don't have enough capacity. Right. But we're making an assumption that we know what our capacity is. This is where, again, here's the challenge is if we're delivering against our commitments and we're seeing how fast we can deliver things, yeah. we're assuming that this is 100% of our capacity. The orphans, the way they come into the uh, conversation is, imagine if you're working in a team level tool mm -hmm. uh, and 
you're not in, so you're an executive, you're not in that tool. You're at the top and you're defining the roadmap. Yeah. And what happens is it's a reality that you say you're trying to inform your people downstream that this is the priority, decompose right. this work. And at some point in time, someone lower in the organization is going to say, stop what you're doing. I have something that has to be addressed right now. And they're like, oh, this is a priority. And people want to please. Yeah. And so the team stops what they're doing and redirects what they're working on on this other priority. Okay. Right. And so that's where we call it an orphan because that orphan doesn't have a parent, a parent that is aligned to strategy. So <laughs> okay. that, so the so locally, if you look at the teams, the capacity, orphan kind of sneaks in through the kitchen door without actually do. having an invitation. Yeah. And, and you've seen scrum masters are always there to protect the delivery teams. Yeah. You know, now what happens is you sometimes have a product owner or someone on a program level that kind of comes in and says, like, oh, I have this extra, a new priority. Yeah. I need you to focus on this. Now, if the team has clear visibility to the roadmap and okay. they understand why they're working on, they're now informed mm-hmm. and they may question, like, is this really the highest priority? Because I know what our priorities are as an organization, because I'm working on it right now. Right. But but instead, that's not what happens. They say, stop what you're doing. I need to do this. And they're like, sure. And they create an object, whatever system you're using. Mm-hmm. And but again, that object it's is unsanctioned work. It's unsanctioned work. It's shadow IT. I've heard it. Yeah. So a couple different. Terms. Okay. So the, I want to ask something specific about this. And I'm not I mean, maybe I am trying to give you a hard time. I don't mean to. It's just this is, to me, as a PM, like this was my, this was the the throwdown. This was like the thing mm-hmm. was I'm going to get this done. I'm going to find a way. Like my job is I map out the system in my brain and then I find the walls that have weak spots and I cut a hole in them. That's sure. my whole job. I'm going to get those black ops things done. We're going to do it with my special teams that I'm going to cobble together out of favors and hope. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to deliver. And Everything that you're saying, I am the villain. I am the leech that is sucking the blood out of the system there. I'm saying that if that's the case, and and I've been there where we've had customers, when I was at Leading Agile, we had customers where you're going through a transformation and they will go along as long as it works for them. Right. You know, but as soon as the transformation, you know, they're trying, they, they have a way of being successful in the past. And to your point, you know, I will do what I got to do, cut a hole in the wall to do this. You know, they'll go along with the plan as long as it aligns with their goals. But as soon as it doesn't, they're just going to do whatever they're going to do. So what you should do is model the system to accommodate that. So what I mean by that is people will ask, the example, um, at Atlassian, we call it ship it. Some people may have heard it called 20% time or FedEx day or something like that. And there should be some percentage of your capacity that can be reserved for these things. But if you, again, if you're transparent about where your capacity is going, well, then you can make better decisions based on that. You create an opportunity saying it's not just all or none, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but again, we account for it somehow. But the Go ahead. I was just I was thinking about what you were saying and also what you said earlier about a team members understanding the strategic priority. And when I was doing those those deals to try to get my stuff done, I felt like I was the hero in this story because there was this bloated system that I was finding a way to navigate. 
And I was only focused on the project that I was focused on. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I understood the whole of the system, I would be able to see how that outlaw project, you know, outlaw production thing was not really helping. Right. It might, it's like a sugar rush. It feels good right now, but overall we're going to pay for it. And what's, what was happening in my brain was I always like, I used to try to think of like, who's my, as a project manager, who's my hero? Like who's the archetype that I want to be? And I wanted to be Radar O'Reilly. I wanted to be the guy that could find you anything, anywhere, anytime and get it on a favor and get it done. But in your model, Radar's the bad guy. That's just mean, Derek. Well, I know, but <laughs> the but it's at the end of the day, you know, we're the system's corrupt though. The system has to be fixed. It's telling you it something is. one way or the other, right? And because at what we're looking for is a long term strategy for an organization to be successful. And mm-hmm. a lot of these organizations over the last year, there's there are quite a few organizations that have gone out of business. Yeah, you know, because and it's because. They didn't have that transparency that they needed. They were not able to adapt to a rapidly changing world. And that's, this is how it happens, you know, yeah. is not having that transparency, not having that North star for everyone to al- align around. Yeah. And if everyone agrees, what is as a, as an organization, where are we all going toward? We increase our probability of being successful. It's when we are in these little tiny micro organizations you know, and we're not aligned with the higher level strategy, mission, vision, values, these type of things. This yeah. is where, the, that's where things break down. So are you, I, I'm trying to think of different parallels to this and where I'm kind of getting to with it is that I totally agree with what you're saying. If people don't understand where the North Star is, they're going to come up with their own and that mm-hmm. could be at odds or they're going to find, like, to me, that thing of the special projects, that is evidence of the fact that something's broken. Either people don't agree or they can't see. Is there a way to measure whether or not, let's say that it is clear, there is alignment to it? I mean, it's it's a volatile subject, but I'm thinking about what happened in D.C. recently. And you could say that if everyone in the United States understood what we were trying to do as a country, then we would all agree, but we wouldn't because that's not the way the country works right now. Right. There's different sides of that argument. And and the people that feel that it's not working properly are the ones that want to rise up and change things. Right. So can you measure can you measure the dissonance in the organization against the strategy? Is it possible to do that? Uh, let's see if if this tracks and to answer your question. So it's my understanding what what you're saying is again as a government or as a country, we are going down a path. We have a goal, but theoretically, yeah. But those down below it, we have different ideas of how we reach the goal. Sure. And so now, I believe as long as we're respectful and we can have a conversation about it, an open dialogue about it, then that's okay. If we can agree that we're all trying to do the right thing, we're all trying to march mm-hmm. towards a more perfect union. Right. Okay. So the same thing with. A company organizations, we're trying to do our work because we are all honestly trying to do the right thing. Yep. All I'm saying is, or it's not all I'm saying, but I believe that if it, the transparency, if if a, a leader within an organization can communicate, yeah, what the mission, the vision, our values are, 
what is that that we can all uh, agree on being we can agree if we can't agree with the mission vision and values of an organization we shouldn't work there. you shouldn't be there right, right. exactly yes and, totally and the rest agree. of it is just transactional one is a belief system the other one is actually this is what we're going to do in order to, to achieve what we believe yeah yeah so so I, one would hope that you know Atlassian is a permanent a, a permanent example is Atlassian is very culture driven Okay. It's like you're not going to work at Atlassian if you don't align with the values of Atlassian. Okay. What you do within Atlassian, you can figure out how you can help accomplish, you know, the vision and the mission of Atlassian, which is to unlock the potential of every team. You can figure something out. Right. It's when you work counter at any time that example, one of our core values is don't F the customer. That is a fundamental, and I, I, <laughs> I thank like you that. that. It is a fundamental value that last year that like whatever you do, always remember, never ever f the customer. And so, <laughs> if brilliant. you ever see someone who will intentionally do that, then they don't belong at Alaska. Yeah. So that okay. So, what would you be tracking to figure out? I mean, is it the orphans that you're tracking? Like from a metric standpoint, what are you looking at here? Well, so it's not really. Well, it's, there's tracking or exposure. So when it comes to the the orphans yeah so you can look at any piece unit of work an atomic unit of work for a team yeah team uh, and i'm going to use the language of say a task to a story a, tor- a story to a feature a, stor- a feature to an epic an epic to an initiative or a strategy or a goal or something okay. like that yeah every law along that lineage there should be a parent so if you're doing your task, your hourly work as an individual, it should align to some user story. And, and when you don't have clarity on that alignment, everybody's in a bad way. Right. And it just, yeah. it, it, there's this network effect of wasted capacity yeah. because it's not just that you're spending your time on something that's not a priority yeah. or it's not that you're spending your time on this thing. You're not spending it on this other thing. And again, I'm saying you never get that time back. Right. And so what's gone, what's spent is spent. And so okay. what, what we're looking at is this goes top and go down. So, and the reason why is because it's just a multiple of cost. Okay. Of cost, money, time, right? So, because there's a, there's a, there is a value to the time of a team or individuals, but if you go up, let's just say on our roadmap, we have these multi-year initiatives Mm-hmm. And imagine the horror on a portfolio manager's face if they find out if there's one uh, project or product that is in flight right now that is not aligned to the to our organizational priority. One, and the reason why is because that portfolio networks out to programs, which networks to teams, which networks to people, and right. so it's a heaven forbid that that thing actually gets done. So the sooner we discover. The sooner we discover that they're tra- that we're working on things, that there's are things not we shouldn't priorities. be doing. Yeah, right. The sooner we can identify that, the sooner we can stop that and realign okay. to the things that we should be working on. So, would you then be tracking things like the number of projects canceled that were like not in strategic, or the number of projects not in strategic alignment before and after, um, or the ones canceled, or revenue saved from the ones that were canceled? Like, what kind of things? Yeah. So. Okay. It's like like the absence of it is an indicator of health. The presence of it is an indicator of not health. Right. 
So you, there is a, I created a dashboard in Tableau recently that just grabbed the data from a couple from Jira, Jira right. line and visualized it. And you okay. can do these in any one of your systems. It doesn't matter the platform or tool that you're using. Okay. Think of a parent-child relationship and know that, let's say a team, a software team may cost $1.2 million a year. Yeah. Well, given that team, what they can produce in a year, you know, if you can under, there is a, you could calculate a cost per point on that team. Shame on you. I know. But that's the, if you're doing financials, yeah. so you know how much they cost overall and you know what they can deliver overall if yeah. they're a stable team. And if you can do that, then all of a sudden you have a risk cost. Now you know that potentially every story that they're working on could cost you. And that can be in the millions of dollars. Wow. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And just know that the further they are down the path of completing that. The more expensive it gets. Work, the more expensive it gets. It's yeah, like it's, an escape defect. It, yeah. Wow. Or like. It's like finding like a bus later, later. Technical debt. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So. Okay. What we want to do is find it early. Yeah. It's like a definition of ready. You know, mm-hmm. we should be continuously looking at our system of delivery. Yeah. And looking for work that is not aligned because it happens at any time. And the sooner we catch it, the sooner we can course correct. I'm thinking of those things in the Matrix that would swarm around looking for the ship that Neo was on with all the tentacles. Sweetie, yes. And, and they would attack it and kill it. Yeah. But that's okay. But in a good way. Yeah. And it's not, we're not punishing the teams. It's, well, let's look at that. No, you're, then, you're cleaning out the system so it can flow better. You're taking, right. it's, it's like maintenance or hygiene, hygiene, systemic hygiene. Yeah. Yes. So okay. think of it. Yeah. We, there are other things you can call, we call them data quality. There's, you know, there's actually delivery metrics, you know, yeah. you're trying to look at the health of the system, but there's also data quality. And this is beyond data quality. This is, we're doing things we shouldn't do, but data quality could be anything from, um, yeah, we're doing things that are, uh, are clearly defined, not good acceptance criteria, not estimated, those type of things. But Yeah. I'll wow, this there. is cool. <laughs> this is a lot. All right. So um, I appreciate you doing this. I want to encourage everybody to go check out the book. Where do you want them to buy the book, Derek? Amazon. Amazon. You can buy a print version from Amazon or you can get a electronic version. From I think Amazon. you should take the Scott Ambler out. You should tell people to buy three copies of the book and give them out to their friends or, you know, you want Jake to go to college, right? It's going to, you know, yeah, sure. someday. <laughs> buy a couple of these books. That's Help right. Derek. Um, cool. This was really great. I'm glad things are going well. And I, this is, I would like to come back and talk about this stuff more at a more theoretical level at some point, because there's all kinds of weird stuff we could dig into with this. There is. And I get super excited about it. And the second edition will be out in a couple of months. Oh, that soon. Okay. You're iterating for real. Well, certainly. And because this one is broken down, it has recipes in it on how do you build different metrics and they're primarily around you know, predictable, you know, predictability within us within an organization. The next one will have actual exempt, like in a cookbook, you want to see a picture of the yeah. food. And so I'm going to be including. Oh, more, cool. Graphics of the stuff. Great. Right. And it was all about, I need to get a, get this out. I want to get this out before the end of the year. So I had my first edition was without those. Uh, Your MVP. Yeah. I had to have an MVP. Cool. So. Well, this is great. Thanks, man. So what if they want to reach out to you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? I am available at uh, DerekEther.com, on okay. Twitter, uh, 
or or LinkedIn at Derek Ether. Okay. Yeah. I'll put yeah. links to all that stuff in there. Sounds great. Cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. you doing this. It was really great catching up too. Thanks for having me. I miss working with you, Derek. I know. <laughs> I, I miss you too. <laughs> Thanks, man. If you learn to work the old way, but the new way is what you need. My job's to make that switch from old to